The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a discussion of the 2023 investment outlook and our favorite stocks. Barron's senior writer, Nicholas Jasinski, wrote this past weekend's cover story on the 2023 market forecast, and Andrew Barry identified his top 10 stocks for the new year for the 13th year in a row. I'm thrilled that Nick and Andrew could both join me today to fill you in on their thinking. I just want to mention that Dr. Ed Yardeni was supposed to join us as well, but unfortunately had to cancel. But not to worry, we'll reschedule him for sometime during January or February. In the meantime, let's welcome Nick and Andrew. I'm so glad to have you both on Barron's Live. Hi, both. Glad to be here. Excellent. So, Nick, I'm going to start with you and the big picture. I edited your story. I'm quite familiar with what it said. And it sounds to me like next year is going to look a lot like this year. It's all about the Fed, with one notable exception. Wall Street strategists think stocks have a good chance of rallying toward the end of the year and actually posting gains for the year after a difficult first half. You interviewed eight of Wall Street's top market strategists for the cover story. Give us the street's consensus. So, Lauren, um, the consensus among the eight strategists we spoke with is for the S&P 500 to end 2023 at about 4,230 points, which would be about 10% higher than it is today. But it's not going to be a straight line there. And that still compares with about 4,800 where we started 2022. So um, it's not like we're seeing a return to record highs or a huge bull market. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd put it like this. It's worth remembering that the stock market is not the economy and the economy is not the stock market. So it's sort of this t- tale of two halves of the year, where the first half of the year should actually still be quite strong for the economy, um, but it could be a whole lot worse for the market. And then the inverse of that in the second half. Investors are always looking forward to what comes next. So in the first half of the year, you'll still have consumers uh, spending plenty on, on services, vacations, all that. They got lots of savings left over from the pandemic and the labor market is tight. So wages will be rising and um, people will have uh, plenty of spending power. Um, Towards the second half of the year, meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is, is continuing its rate hikes through there and, and uh, um, lots of hawkish language no, talking about uh, never hike, never cutting rates ever again, blah, 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 all of that. Um, by the second half of the year, if the Fed has its way, rates will be somewhere around 5%, maybe a little bit higher. We might see some weakening in the labor market, and that might take uh, inflation down a bit, but we'll also see some more weakness in the economy, and that'll feed flow through into uh, company revenues and earnings. So what does that mean for the market? In the first half of the year, um, what the strategists I spoke with generally seem to believe is going to happen is, is we'll see a lot of earnings estimates being revised downward. The catalyst for that might be the fourth quarter earnings season in, in January and February where management teams talk about the year ahead and sound a cautious note. And then by the second half of the year, you might see some more weakness in the economy and earnings coming down. You might see some negative year-over-year numbers. Um, but at the same time, investors will start looking forward to 2024, um, where things might be doing a little better. So 
we'll be putting a higher multiple on stocks also because there's a little disagreement on this among the panel, but some, some folks see the Fed beginning to lower interest rates by the end of 2023, maybe as soon as the fourth quarter when they uh, are reacting to inflation being much lower and the economy being a little weaker. So as investors price that in, they'll be having a lower earnings number, but maybe a higher multiple of those earnings. And you can see a recovery in the market in the second half of the year. Those are the broad contours. So, so just to sum it up, a tougher first half of the year, more of this volatile trading where, where every single jobs number, every single inflation number results in these huge moves in the market, um, maybe some pain on the earnings side. And then in the second half of the year, that's already been priced in, the bad news is in the numbers, and everybody starts looking forward to the year ahead, which might be a little bit better, and stocks might rise even as the reality of the economy and the earnings numbers is worse in the second half. Good summary. But Andrew, you are a non-consensus sort of person. I wonder what you make of the strategist forecast. Do you think they're more or less right this time, or do you think you know, they're You know what? I'm, I'm more optimistic. I think, we're, well, I think we may get back to the old high on the S&P 500, which would be about 4,800, which is about a 20% move. I think there could be a Fed pivot earlier rather than later. I think the Fed probably, despite what uh, Jay Powell is saying, I think the Fed really has no stomach for um, if there's a weak economy and, and greater job losses. I, I just think that uh, that uh, the um, the Fed's outlook in terms of for additional rate hikes may not really materialize in any meaningful way. And I think uh, there could be a pivot sooner rather than later. So I'm, I'm more optimistic about the first half of the year, uh, but we'll have to see what happens. Fair enough. And we should note that that the rate hikes have not yet produced the kind of recession that many predicted for 2022. So the Fed has not had to endure that yet. But interesting scenario. Nick, tell me about some of the sectors that the strategists favor for 23 and why. Then we'll get into Andrew's favorite stocks. Uh, so there's certainly a value stock uh, preference, at least going into next year, of, over growth stocks. Um, lots of the, the strategies I spoke with, like energy, that's a good hedge against inflation, geopolitics. Um, it's, of course, the best performer in, in uh, 2022 as well, returning some 60%, including dividends. Um, in the near term, there might be a little bit of a, some bumps if, if the recession fears get a little stronger and people believe that that's going to bring oil prices down. But the medium to long term fundamentals are, are very strong. Supply is just not growing very much and um, oil gas prices will remain high. And that's that's going to fuel plenty of, of uh, shareholder returns in the form of buybacks and dividends. Um, financials stocks also have some fans, um, U.S. banks in particular, especially that's that's if we get this shallow recession and soft landing scenario or you don't have big losses and on loans and, and uh, housing doesn't have a, another crisis. Um, higher interest rates are, are generally mean stronger earnings and cash flow for banks. Um, they're also one of the cheapest sectors in the S&P 500. So the starting point is pretty attractive. Um, what is not popular by far is uh, consumer discretionary and retail stocks. Um, that's a near unanimous underweight among our panel. That's And that really has to do with the the upcoming decline in consumer spending um, and just this lingering preference for services over goods right now after uh, two years of the pandemic where everybody was buying couches and refrigerators and everybody's garages and closets are full of stuff and we're just not buying as much stuff anymore and spending more on services and Walmart and Target and all them, they sell, they sell goods, not services. Um, so there are not a lot of fans in consumer discretionary and retail stocks. Um, one other group I'll mention is healthcare which has um, some defensive characteristics, of course. If we do have a recession, people still need to go to the doctor, still need to take their medications, no matter what the GDP numbers are. Um, but it also has some growth characteristics. There's actual innovation in, in healthcare and 
you don't really get that from utilities and consumer staples, which are the other classic defensive sectors. So, so uh, popular are banks, energy, healthcare, not so popular, retail, consumer discretionary. That makes sense to me. Also, some of the healthcare names have big dividends, particularly some of the pharma names. Oh, yeah. Um, Lauren, I'd be very cautious on energy, despite what our strategists say. Uh, energy stocks, is, as Nick said, are up 60% this year, led by stocks like Exxon. Oil is round trip this year. I mean, there's it's a big disconnect now, in my view, between the oil markets and the oil stocks. I'd rather own the commodity than own the stocks. And uh, I think the stocks could be vulnerable. There could be earnings disappointments this year, given what's happening. So I'd be very cautious on energy. I was bullish at the start of this year, but I, I just think there's too much of a disconnect now. But we'll have to see what happens. You know, you picked Shell as one of your top picks for 22. The stock is up almost 40%. I was wondering why there are no energy picks on your 23 list. But I think you've answered that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I actually think that Shell is probably one of the best of the lot. It's, it's up how 40 percent it's dramatically underperformed uh many of the uh it's if it's u.s peers it's probably one of the it's the cheapest big oil stock in the world if you want to play oil i think shell is one of the best plays now trades for almost half the pe multiple of uh exxon right now and it has a higher dividend yield there are issues in europe now with the climate activists and the government there's more pressure on them than there is here on the u.s on u.s oil companies but i think the discount is not warranted given how much it is right now Good point. So now we're going to look at your 10 stocks. Before we go into them, I want to tell listeners that um, your picks last year were down 1.7%, which was an excellent total return compared with a negative total return of 12% for the S&P 500. Six of your names were up very nicely. We mentioned Shell. And um, we'll move on to 22 names, excuse me, 23 names now. I also want to remind listeners that we will take questions at the end of the call. So now's a good time to start typing in your questions. So Andrew, you have two holdovers this year, Google Parent Alphabet and Berkshire Hathaway, and you have a lot of surprising names on the list. So first tell me, what do you look for in the stock picks of the year? And why did you pick Alcoa? Well, I mean, I, I'd like to have a diversified group of stocks, ones that's not too... Um, too focused on one particular sector of the market. I'm looking for stocks that may be out of favor for some reason. Most of the stocks on the list are down probably 25% or more this year. And I think they're all, I mean, most of them are very solid companies with strong balance sheets and strong earnings and cash flow. That's kind of the um, the overall thinking about it. And I, I give it a lot of thought. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they do for 2023. All right, so Alcoa, not a name with much sex appeal, but a lot of appeal as an investment. Well, I think Alcoa is kind of a sleeper. It's a leading uh, pure play aluminum company in the world right now. Aluminum is a green energy play in terms of it's needed for um, renewable energy. It's lightweight. It's needed in electric cars. And um, so I think uh, aluminum is kind of underappreciated now relative to copper, which gets a lot of attention as a green energy uh, play. And Alcoa could be a takeover candidate. It's only, only about $8 billion market cap, has a very good balance sheet right now. And uh, Chinese demand and uh, supply are the big wild cards, but I think both of them could surprise favorably for this year. And the stock is pretty reasonably priced at around 10 times this year's earnings. And uh, the, the, the earnings power of this company is much higher than, than what it's earning right now. So if you get any bullish signs out of China, I think uh, Illumina could do very well. And I think long-term this could be a, a consolidation candidate. And uh, it's also, uh, um, I think, uh, benefits from the fact that about 80% of the energy they use for its, for their smelters comes from uh, green energy, mostly hydro. So it's a green energy play through and through. 
That's interesting. That one people think of as a green energy play. Right. So glad you pointed that up. Let's look at Delta Airlines and Toll Brothers. Nobody on Wall Street seems to like the airline stocks or the home builders, but you do. What's what's the case for these? Well, stocks? I mean, I mean, the airlines have basically been a terrible place to invest for many years. I mean, the world's most famous investor, Warren Buffett, got involved in the airline stocks pre-pandemic. He had big positions in all, all the big ones. He gave up in uh, during the pandemic year of 2020. So that kind of tells you that the world's best investor just is like done with this, this group of stocks. But I think Delta is actually the best of the lot among the um, U.S. majors. And uh, it's probably the best managed company. It's very good at segmenting the fares inside the cabin in terms of premium seating. And the valuation is pretty uh, reasonable right now. It's only trading for about six times uh, next year's earnings, 2023 earnings, and even lower earnings estimate for 2024. Lower oil prices will help. One of the big issues is cost. I mean, labor costs are rising pretty sharply, but you know, travel demand remains pretty strong. Um, the head of, of Costco uh, was on TV today, and he was saying that uh, Costco's demand for uh, travel among their millions and millions of uh, members is still very strong. So I think people want to travel, and, th and th that should benefit Delta going into 23. Admittedly, the risk is a recession. We'll have to see what happens there. All right. And Toll Brothers? Toll Brothers, I guess, another group that people don't really like to hate right now. Toll Brothers, I mean, the housing stocks, are, uh, home building stocks are down about 30% this favor. year. What? And very out of favor. Yeah, they're very out of favor. Actually, they've actually rallied about 25% off from the lows in June. They've stopped going down, even though um, there's been weakness in the housing market. These stocks are very forward-looking. They often anticipate uh, developments like many quarters ahead. And so I think the housing stocks may be starting to tell you that there may be a Fed pivot in 2023, that the, whatever declines we're going to see in the housing market, which may be down 5% in price so far, maybe another 5%, are going to be manageable. And these companies are not going to go through what they went through during the great financial crisis when they had massive write-downs of land and, um, and their housing inventory. So, I mean, toll is supposed to remain profitable next year. Stock's around 50 right now. It's trading below book value, which is around $55 a share trading for about six or seven times next year's earnings. And I think Toll is differentiated. It caters to, it's a leading luxury home bill in the country. It caters to um, affluent uh, home buyers. The average sale price is about a million dollars for a Toll home against $400,000 for the entry level homes that are sold by two of its biggest competitors, at least uh, in terms of size, which are Lenar and DR Horde. So it's differentiated. Their customer base is less rate sensitive um, that 20% of them pay cash. So mortgages are not even an issue. Mortgages obviously are biting, but I think they're more insulated. And I think this could be a takeover candidate. Total's market cap is only around $5 billion right now. Lenar and DR Horn, I think each might like to own this company. They're about five times the size in terms of market cap. And I think also Berkshire Hathaway might like to own this. Berkshire Hathaway is very much involved in housing. They own a manufactured housing uh, company, Clayton. They also are involved in paint and brick and flooring. And I think this is the kind of company that Warren Buffett would like to own. And, and the co-founder of, of Toll, um, Bob Toll, who really built this company, I mean, died a couple months ago. So that could make it more vulnerable to a takeover. And Warren Buffett has plenty of money. As, as yes, I mean, he's sitting on about $100 billion in cash right now. I mean, a little bit lower after some of the deals, but there's still plenty of cash for a deal. And this would be a bite-sized acquisition that I think would be right up Berkshire's alley if basically Toll was interested in selling. That's an interesting thesis. We're going to get to Berkshire, but first let's talk about Bank of America, whose motto has been responsible growth and Comcast, which is a bit of a media mishmash. 
Well, I mean, Bank of America is, is one of the leading banks in the country. It doesn't get the kind of attention that J.P. Morgan does. Brian Moynihan, the CEO, is arguably as good as Jamie Dimon. He just doesn't get the attention. He doesn't quite like the limelight the way Jamie Dimon does. They, their mantra has been responsible growth. They basically have a very high quality loan book. They tend to lend only to their customers. They try to uh, keep a loan quality very good. And the, the stock has come down because of recession concerns. It's down around 30% this year. It's trading in the low 30s right now, which is about 10 times earnings. The dividend yield is lower than some of its peers, but that's because they have a very low payout ratio of earnings. It's, a, it's very conservative in much of the way they run the thing. The dividend yield is under 3% right now, but it's a high quality bank. And um, I think that if the economy avoids any sort of a major recession, this stock could be meaningful, ha- meaningfully higher by the end of 2023. And what about Comcast? Well, Comcast is uh, is the, the leading uh, cable and broadband company in the country. And um, basically, it, its stock is down also about 30% or so this year, trading in the mid to low 30s right now. The concern is that the broadband market, which is high-speed internet access, which is their most valuable and best business right now with the most pricing power, is slowing down. And um, people are also concerned about capital spending. Their, their rival charter communication stock has gotten whacked recently because they uh, surprised investors with their capital spending plans. But Comcast, I mean, it's still a very sticky business, the broadband business. Yes, there is cord cutting going on, but uh, the stock is pretty uh, reasonable right now, trading for about 10 times earnings, 3% dividend yield. And it's also a conglomerate, which investors aren't crazy about. They own NBC Universal, which has some very good businesses, particularly the theme parks down in Orlando, people are less enthralled about the traditional media business, which is uh, the TV business. They Investors kind of hate the fact they're spending so much money on Peacock, which is their streaming service, which is losing about $2 billion a year. And um, I think investors would like to see this company be simplified, maybe even a spinoff or a sale of either NBC Universal or Sky, which is their um, international uh, satellite TV business. But Brian Roberts has been the impediment. Brian Roberts is the... Uh, CEO, and uh, he basically controls the company. The, the Roberts family controls the company. And so he's not super popular now with investors. But I think you could see pressure on, on Roberts and pressure on Comcast to um, take some corporate actions in 2023. And the stock is pretty reasonable right now. And it seems like streaming is draining everybody, Disney yeah, as well. Yeah, Netflix. but I mean, they're, they're, I, I think they're basically recognizing the industry that they're, they're spending too much and that the market is not quite as big as it uh, as, as they thought it was. And I think Peacock is really undersized right now. And I know some people like it, but I, I just don't think they have the scale to really compete against the Netflixes and Disney's and, and others in this business. Then they, they will fix it presumably over time. So we have a few more stocks to get through. Tech stocks have had a dismal year, but you're rooting for Alphabet and for Amazon Tell me what you see in these companies that the market doesn't. Well, I mean, I mean, Alpha, Alphabet basically is you know is the leading, obviously leading search engine uh, in the uh, in the world, and the stock has come down hard this year, about thirty five or forty percent. It's trading for about twenty times uh, this year's earnings, which is a market multiple for a dominant company. Um, it's a it's a it's a very well run company. They've also a lot of room to cut costs. There's an activist. Um, from the UK, who's basically said this company is too fat. Their headcount's grown about 20% this year and it's doubled over the last couple of years. And I think there could be more pressure on this company to cut costs in 2023. And um, I think that could be bullish. And I think search and search advertising may hold it better than people think. They have a very good balance sheet. There's a, there's a lot to like now about Alphabet, and I think it's not really reflected in the stock. And as for Amazon... Amazon's down almost 50% this year. It was a darling a year ago, and now basically people hate it. But I think they're writing the ship right now. Their retailing business internationally and in the U.S., believe it or not, is actually not making money, according to what some analysts think. And I think that's going to change. 
and uh, they're, they're, they're cutting costs, and uh, they're basically going to right-size their retailing business, which I think probably will happen during 2023. You may see better results from that. And of course, the cloud computing business, which is the, the other main part of the business, is, uh, is basically the dominant player, which maybe a 40 or 50% share. It dominates uh, Microsoft and Google, which are the other two players. So you have two dominant businesses right now inside Amazon. And the stock's trading in the high 80s right now. And the, the multiple is high, but I think uh, the earnings are understated right now. All right. How about a minute on Medtronic, the medical device company? Well, you know, healthcare has been a great sector this year. And um, I mean, almost every major healthcare stock is up except for Medtronic. They've had some issues in terms of currency and sales, and they had a setback on in their pipeline. But this is a broadly diversified medical devices company. Stock's down about 20 or so percent uh, from the highs. And um, it's trading for only about 15 times earnings, which is half the multiple of peers like Stryker and Boston Scientific. It yields over 3%. It's a very solid dividend yield. This could be an interesting turnaround play. Um, in 2023. Plus, I think there could be pressure on management. Uh, I think Wall Street's kind of soured to some degree on management. I think uh, that could put their feet to the fire. There could be activists getting involved with Medtronic. We'll have to see about that. And now let's wrap up with two of your very favorite stocks, Madison Square Garden and Berkshire Hathaway. What's well, ahead of these companies? I mean, MSG Sports, which is a company we focused on, owns the New York Knicks and Rangers. And it's a pretty simple story. The Knicks and Rangers in, are in total, according to Forbes, which values sports teams every year, are worth about $8 billion in total. Stocks market value now is $4 billion, so you're effectively getting it for 50% off. The reason is why does that exist? It's called the Dolan Discount. The Dolan family, uh, headed by Jim Dolan, the chairman, controls the company, doesn't want to sell. And so that's the big issue. But I think there could be pressure on the Dolans to do stuff to realize value during 2023. And it's always possible there, there could be a sale of the team. It's interesting that when Manchester United uh, indicated recently they were up, they're willing to sell the, um, um, the British football club, which they own, the stock was up about 50%. So, I mean, these stocks can move very quickly if basically you, you, get, you, you move toward a corporate event. And I would say about Berkshire, I mean, Berkshire is kind of a rock of Gibraltar in the, uh, for investors. I mean, he's got a phenomenal balance sheet. And, uh, you know, Buffett has uh, made, made some good investments this year in terms of Oxano Petroleum, Chevron, and some other things. Allegheny, they, it, it was bought very cheaply. And, and the stock is not expensive now for around 20 times earnings, 1.4 times book value. The issue is, uh, big issue is him. He's 92, his longevity. From all we know, he's still pretty healthy. He's very engaged. He tells people that I'm always on the clock for Berkshire. He's always thinking about Berkshire and he's very much engaged and very much involved. I mean, the question is, I mean, how much longer can he do it? Maybe a couple of years we'll have to see about that. But uh, in the post-Buffett era, the stock still could do well. You could see pressure to break up the company. There, there likely will be a dividend in the post-Buffett era, in my view. Well, it's an incredible collection of assets. Yes. And he's he's had an incredible career and may he keep going. Yeah. So, and good. Go ahead. We typically yep. talk about news of the week on the Bar on the Barron's Live call on Monday. And this week, leaving leaving behind our 10 stocks and the market outlook, this week that means Elon Musk. He conducted a poll to determine whether he should step down as Twitter CEO. And guess what? Users want him gone. Tesla stock briefly shot up on the notion that Musk would be less distracted at Twitter and maybe spend more time at Tesla, but the stock is now in the red for the day. So Nick, does gone really mean gone though when we're talking about Elon Musk? Uh, well, I will uh, I will admit I don't have a crystal ball to what's gonna happen at Twitter and or uh, insight into Musk's thinking necessarily, but, but uh, he's still gonna own the company. So even if he's not with the title of CEO, whoever the CEO is will be accountable to him. 
Um, but it's certainly, it's been a messy, not just past six weeks since he bought it, but just the weekend at Twitter. Um, there was some journalist accounts that were suspended and then brought back. There was a policy that was unveiled that blocked uh, users from linking to any other social media accounts, which then was also rescinded. Um, there was a report in, in a couple of different publications that Musk was reaching out to some of his co-investors on Twitter, asking them to purchase more stock at that $44 billion price that he paid. Um, so it's been an eventful couple of days. And, and um, I'd say it's probably never was Musk's plan to be in charge of Twitter forever. Um, he said so much in public weeks ago, um, but it would probably be something that would happen months down the road and not after just six weeks into his ownership of the company based on a crowdsourced decision of his uh, a poll of his of his followers. Um, so it's certainly it's a it's it's going to be a saga that's going to continue and we'll be hearing a lot more about it. The man continues to surprise. Andrew, what's your take on Musk's latest antics and the implications for Tesla here? Well, I mean, I mean, Twitter has been a total train wreck. I mean, it's been a disaster, I think, for the company. It's been a, it's been a big distraction for um, Musk. He's had to sell stock. He's, it's, he's diverted attention from Tesla. So, I mean, I think the less he's involved with, te- with Twitter, the better. I think the key issue for, for Tesla, which is what people are starting to worry about now, which is why I think the stock is down, is people are worried about their market share and worried about demand for EVs. There was a note from Adam Jonas, the Morgan Stanley analyst. He cut his estimates for EV sales in terms of EV penetration. I think people are starting to wonder with all the uh, competitors now ramping up their, their EV production um, and given the fact that some people think that Americans may not be as enamored of electric cars as many of the proponents think, that that is, I think, the big issue for Tesla. That is the issue to watch for 2023 is demand for their cars. I think wait times are down for their cars. That is the critical issue. That's, that's the big driver for this company is going to be demand and their profitability. Certainly having a full-time CEO focused on the company would be something that would be helpful and well-received by investors. And that's not something that Tesla I mean, has right now. Definitely helpful, but I think uh, the overarching thing is what it, what is demand and margins going to be for this company going forward? You wonder whether everyone who wants a Tesla has bought one. There are an awful lot of them out on the roads, but we'll keep an eye on that for yeah. sure. So I want to go to some listener questions. We've got quite a few coming in. Here's a question I'm going to pose to you, Nick. Richard asks, what's the downside if those market forecasts are wrong? Um, well, so I'll say in the in the first half of the year, a lot of strategists see the the market falling back to that thirty three hundred or so range on the uh, S and P five hundred, which is about the lows that we hit in uh, October before the the most recent rally, um, and that's just based on those forces that we talked about before, earnings estimates coming down and rates still going up, and, and some concern about the recession. Um, if we do have this worst case scenario in the second half of the year of um, wages continuing to rise. Um, and, and inflation remaining much more ingrained and you have the Fed having to push rates higher and higher, then um, I think we could go significantly below that. Um, but I think that remains to be to be proven. Um, that, that I wouldn't say that that's the, the, the scenario I'm counting on. Um, it, is, it is one that's out there, but, uh, um, uh, but I expect a little more downside in the first half of the year and then things will probably get better as far as the market is concerned after that, once they start to look forward to uh, 2024 and um, greener pastures ahead. Mm-hmm. And we will check back with them in early fall and see see how right they were or wrong they were and where they see things going next. So, Andrew, you've been on a roll with your favorite stocks. We've got a couple of questions about some other stocks. Anil wants to know about your forecast for Meta. And Steve wants to know whether either of you have thoughts on Apple in 2023, particularly 
regarding supply chain issues from China. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, my colleague Eric Savitz is, is more bearish on Meta than I am. I think that uh, the core business may be more resilient than people think, and I think they're they're going to be pivoting to cut costs during 2023. I think this stock, which is down 60 or 70 percent, um, is probably. I think it, I think it's a good value at these levels, and um, I think you could see a dividend, you could see big buybacks, and I think there's going to be enormous pressure on Mark Zuckerberg to basically pair back this enormous meta spending, which I think most people uh, on Wall Street think is pretty misguided. I, I would be more in Eric's camp. Um, <laughs> certainly the, the stock is down and, and uh, um, right now the, the multiple of earnings and cash flow looks pretty attractive, but uh, um, it is gonna be another big spending year on, on a lot of their investments next year, even if it's, it's less than what they originally guided to. Um, and just the trends in, in pricing on advertising on, on Facebook and Instagram are the ad prices are, are up less than inflation over the past year. And that's not super promising. Um, so I think there, there's a little more pain to come from the uh, core business. I should note for listeners that we encourage debate at Barron's. Yeah. It's, it, it helps yeah. us get to the bottom of yeah. a lot of important issues in the market. So Apple, Nick, where do you come out on Apple? And then we'll go to Andrew. Um, I think Apple's okay. It's uh, it's certainly, it's still a premium product. They have very wide margins. Um, there are some supply chain issues that they've been having, but but Apple is really the, the customer of choice for so many of their suppliers that they're going to prioritize parts for iPhones and, and MacBooks and other things over over uh, smaller spending clients of theirs. And I think Apple has shown over the pandemic that they've been able to manage these supply chain issues that have, have uh, hurt a lot of their consumer electronic uh, rivals much more. Um, and... Uh, they continue to have this flywheel of the services business. Um, that's that's really been an attractive part of the company, and, and a lot of that really goes down to the bottom line. Um, it's very profitable with wide margins. Um, so, so I think trends are are pretty solid at Apple, and they they um, they're still going to continue buying back stock. They have a nice dividend. Um, I think you could do a lot worse than than Apple, but but I, I would agree with Andrew that, that there's probably better value in Alphabet um, among the the big tech stocks. All right. Anything more to add, Andrew, on Apple? No, I, I think uh, let's move on. Okay. Healthcare is a favorite for 2023, as Kamlesh points out. Wanting to know, does Pfizer's performance look good for 23? Andrew, do you have any thoughts there? You know, a Pfizer stock has actually got a lift lately. It's up about 10% recently. I mean, I think they're selling packs of it in China, which I think is is, is going to be a benefit to them. And uh I mean, I, I talked to an investor uh, who thinks you know Pfizer is a good value right now. It's got one of the cheaper valuations in the drug group. The reason is that people are concerned about the vaccine sales and Paxlovid sales in 2023 and how much they're going to be down relative to 2022. That's the big wild card for Pfizer. But it's got a decent dividend yield. I mean, you have to take the risk in terms of just what what a vaccine and Paxlovid sales going to be. But uh, there could be pressure on the company. Uh, I think they're, 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 they're spending too much money on acquisitions. I think they'll be buying back stock. And uh, I think uh, the the capital allocation at, at Pfizer is, I think, somewhat suspect right now. We had a good interview with Joe Rosenberg on Pfizer yeah. not that long yeah. ago. So another question from Hal. I'll put this to you, Nick. Banks have underperformed despite high inflation. What's the bull case for financials now? Um, certainly the starting point is, is very attractive. A lot of the big banks and, and regional banks trade for single-digit PEs or, or, or low double-digit PEs. So, so they're among the cheapest groups in the market. Um, so a lot of bad news is priced in. The, the bull case is that we don't go into a deep recession um, where there are loan losses and um, and uh, and and problems with with uh, the core business of banks. Um, 
but you still have uh, higher interest rates that, that mean that banks are earning more on their loans. Um, a little steepening of the yield curve would be helpful, but I'm not really counting on that. Um, the, 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 some of the skepticism about banks is, I think, due to this post-traumatic stress disorder from, from uh, the uh, global financial crisis where, where there was so much risk taking at banks and things really fell apart for them. But these are just not the same banks. They're, they have so much more reserves um, and a lot of the more risky lending happens not in on their balance sheets, but elsewhere in the financial system. Um, so I think that the the recession risk to to banks this time around is very different. But investors are still remembering the experience from 2007, 2008, and uh, and dinging banks for that. But I think that banks will perform much better through this cycle than than the last one. More than 10 years ago, but kind of hard to forget, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so, Lauren, 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 I'd say we focused on Bank of America, but I, I think you can probably do well. I mean, maybe well with almost any of them, the big banks. I mean, Citi's a turnaround story. J.P. Morgan is obviously very well run. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have very strong franchises and not very high valuations. Goldman's trading only a small premium to book value right now. Regional banks have gotten hit hard. I noticed that Comerica, which is a solid regional, just hit a new 52-week low last week. So I think, uh, you know, I think I think banks generally could, could be one of the better areas in the market the, in 2023. I mean, you just, and, 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 and you also, what? Yeah, it's just the, the returns from dividends and buybacks could be pretty attractive from, from many banks as well, um, given the, the amount of cash they have on their balance sheets. And, and uh, yes, they, again, you could do a whole lot worse than, than banks. I mean, I mean, buybacks have been curtailed at many of the banks because of, because of capital issues, but that may ease up in 2023. You also got dividend yields that are often at 3% or higher, which I think are, are quite solid right now, barring a really uh, big downturn in the economy. Boy, we've covered a lot today. I have a question from a listener about preferred stocks. Barron's no longer covers preferred stocks in our print magazine. We don't put them in the data section anymore. Where's a good place to get a list of preferreds? You know, I mean, you know, I'd like us to, to reinstate that from time to time. I I hope we do, because I think it's very valuable for people. Preferred stocks are very popular with individuals. It's hard to get good information on preferreds, and that's one of the challenges. And I mean, I'll look into it and maybe we can uh, maybe get back on, an, on, on another time on it. Preferred stocks now yield between six, seven, eight, nine percent. Yield, yields are finally pretty attractive now on preferreds. They're up about two percentage points this year. The big bank preferreds like JP Morgan, Bank of America, yield around six percent right now. And if, you, if you're willing to take more risks, you get around eight percent right now. So I think it's an area that individuals like because you have tax advantages or trade on the New York Stock Exchange. There's better visibility and they're, and they're from familiar companies and the dividends are, are, are quite secure generally. I mean, barring a disaster at, the, at most companies, they basically will uh, pay their preferred dividends. Sounds good. And I should check to see whether we have them on our, our barons.com data service. They might be there. We have to check on that, but it'd be, it'd be nice to see them in, in print from time to time. I, I know it was a popular feature with many with many investors who, who kind of like seeing it all in one place, and it's very hard to get that anywhere. I mean, there's really no place else I've ever seen anything like it. Well, we're glad that Cheeky, the listener, brought it up. And I'm going to close with a question for Nick about FedEx. The company is reporting earnings this week. Its prior quarter was so disappointing that it took the whole market down. What's the outlook for FedEx now? Uh, right, so those earnings are tomorrow morning. Um, FedEx, I mean, it's had a rough year, especially when you compare it with its, its main rival, UPS. It's, it's boom times for the shipping industry. We're all shopping online more. There are supply chain issues which are keeping rates high, um, but costs have been a really major issue for FedEx. They're spending more on diesel and jet fuel and labor and so many other things. So revenue uh, for the quarter, which is this is the fiscal second quarter, 
which ended in November. Um, revenues is forecast to be up about 1% year over year, but analysts expect earnings per share to drop by 42% from a year ago. So really big margin contraction there. And they've got this cost cutting plan. So, so investors will want to hear from management on that. They unveiled that earlier this year. I think the goal is to cut about $2.5 billion in cost in the current fiscal year. Um, I think that'll, that'll be the key point, progress on that cost-cutting initiative, because this, this quarter is going to be a wash. Um, Andrew, I'm interested in your thoughts as well. I know that you wrote yeah, about I, that. I, I, I'll, I'll be year. brief about it. If, if investors are interested, UPS is the quality play. It's the better managed, better integrated company. It's got a hot, somewhat higher valuation. FedEx is the cheaper stock. It's a restructuring story. They've really done not done a particularly good job of integrating ground and air. It's it's kind of a messy situation, but it trades at a big discount to UPS on a price to sales basis. So if you want the restructuring story, that's FedEx. If you kind of want the pure play, um, you know, better managed uh, uh, situation, uh, that's UPS right now. All right, Andrew, Nick, thank you so much. This has been a great call. I don't I don't think there's any sector we've left undone there or un un um, discussed. And I love that you disagree in certain situations. It gives us a lot more to think about. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Thanks for your great questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, will speak with Erica Clower, a Technology Equity Portfolio Manager and Research Analyst at Jenison. They'll be looking at the outlook for tech stocks. Tech stocks, as we've noted, have had a very rough year. Are there bargains in the sector? Listen tomorrow and find out. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.